This week we continue our walk in Lent and we look at Jesus as he is confronted by Herod and threatened with death. And we see how Jesus is not afraid because he is bringing forth the kingdom. But in order for us to understand that, in order for us to appreciate that, we need to understand what this kingdom looks like. And so that's what we explore today. If I had the voice, I would do this, but I, I don't have the voice for it. Um, you know in boxing they have that guy, that, that famous guy, in this corner we have, you know, at 350 pounds, 6 feet, 2 inches, heavyweight champion of the world, you know, that's what we have today. We have, in one corner, Jesus, and in the other corner, a power-hungry man named Herod. <laughs> and they go at it. And that's what we're going to be looking at today in our second week of Lent. If you could please turn with me to Luke chapter 13. We'll be looking at verse 31 through 35 today. And I ask that if you are able, that you please stand for the reading of God's word. It says, At that very hour... Some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way, because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I have desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you. And I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. And together we say, Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, as we study your word today, as we look at the confliction between Jesus and Herod, as we look as Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, that city that he so longingly desires to bring under his protection, I pray, Father, that you may speak to us today in this place, here in St. Joseph, that we might take the same message and apply it to the lives, the context by which we live. It is in your name we pray. Amen. You know this. You know this. Because as soon as I start saying it, you're going to say it. And I'm not going to finish it, so it's going to bug you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, now you're going to have to want to finish it. Thy kingdom come. We say that phrase. We pray that phrase. We say, man, I just can't wait for it. But so often we don't stop to think about the exact implications it means to say, God, bring your kingdom here. We struggle with that. 
we don't give enough time and effort to, th- to actually think about what that implies for the citizens of that kingdom. And we know that if you are a Christian, you are a citizen of that kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Now, prophets, they're another group of people who are not uh, so well understood. We, we think of prophets because the prophets in the kingdom, they're, they're tied together because usually it's the prophets who are declaring the kingdom as coming and helping people understand what that looks like, but yet we also don't take the time to understand who the prophets are. For many of us, we think of the prophets as fortune tellers. We think of them as people who can somehow see into the future and declare what will happen. And while that is a role of some prophets, it is not the role of all prophets. Prophets are truth tellers. Prophets are one who stand before someone else and says, thus says the Lord, you're doing this, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Get to it. We see this played out with King David and the prophet Nathan. You see, if you don't know the story, uh, David goes and uh, has an affair with another man's wife. In fact, one of his greatest warriors, his wife, gets her knocked up and then tries to cover it up by bringing the guy back and trying to trick him. That doesn't work. So then he offs him in battle so that then he can bring the lady under his wing and pretend that the baby is just a happenstance and say, well, oh, there we go. Who's going to argue with the king? The prophet of the Lord comes to him and says, David, thus says the Lord, there is a rich man who had many sheep and he had a guest come from a far distance. And he went to go prepare supper for him. But he, instead of taking one of his own flock, went to a poor man who only had one lamb. And he took that lamb and killed it for his guest. And David said, who is it? I'll kill him. That is not right. We should never do that. And he says, you are that man. Now this is the point of the story that most prophets fear because after they get done pointing out the truth, they get killed because people don't always like to have the truth pointed out to them. And that's usually the case for most prophets. However, for Nathan, uh, God was much better, and, and David was a, one who wanted to be a man after God's own heart. And so instead of killing the prophet because he didn't like what he said, he took it to heart, and he sought forgiveness, and it changed his life. Prophets are truth-tellers. Within the realm of thy kingdom come, they are the ones that herald what this kingdom is. And that is where we must look at today what makes up this kingdom. Because, spoiler alert, we are called to now be prophets. We are the ones who are the prophets in this community where we live, our neighbors, our co-workers. We are the prophets. We are the truth tellers now. So we need to understand what it is that we need to be telling them about thy kingdom come, since we're praying for that kingdom to come here. Starts with truth. God's kingdom is built on truth. I know, kind of dual purpose there, but it's built on truth. It's also built on compassion, and it's built on hope. 
And that's what we're going to explore today as to how those three play into the idea of God's kingdom coming to this earth. There are many more things that make up God's kingdom, but those three are what we see within this passage today from Luke. Now, the first one is beautiful. God's kingdom. Thy kingdom come. It is not made up of uh, lies. It is not made up of superiority and power. It is made up of truth. Truth about how God's kingdom operates. And this makes it very, very tricky for us as well as it did for the time of Jesus and the prophets before him. Because truth is, God's kingdom's flipped upside down. Not literally, we're not going to be walking on the ceilings, but all the rules, all the things that we think make sense within this realm of which we live is flipped when we begin to talk about God's kingdom. Slaves are not slaves in God's kingdom. The poor are not poor in God's kingdom. Those who are abused are not abused in God's kingdom. And vice versa, those who seek power and strength and to affect everyone else, to push them under their thumbs, they kind of get the raw end of the deal. And the truth is, people don't want to hear that. This is what Herod had such a fit about with Jesus. He's looking at him, proclaiming freedom from the slaves that he was trying to suppress. He's telling these people that they can be free in God's kingdom, that they don't have to be oppressed, that they can actually live prosperity in the realm that they don't have to worry about what comes. Just as the birds don't have to worry about what they eat or the flowers don't have to worry about what they sow in order to make clothes for themselves because God will provide. And here, Herod's saying, no, I don't like that message. I don't like that you're sharing this because it's giving people this, this false sense and, and that's, that's reducing my power. And I don't want my power reduced. I want to continue to live comfortably. But in order to do that, I have to have people that I can subject to. Well, that is, uh, that is the sticky situation, and that's where Jesus says, ah, no, see, I don't care. Herod, you fox, I have this stuff I need to do. I'm going to be he healing people, I'm going to be casting out demons today, tomorrow, and the next day, and you're not stopping me. I don't care what you try to do, because I have to be about my business. Good luck. And so he shares this truth blatantly with a man who does not have a very good reputation. You see, this is the Herod who uh, divorced his previous wife to marry his half-brother's wife, who then, when called out by John the Baptist, threw him in jail because he didn't like that truth spoken that first time, and then at behalf of his second wife's daughter, who danced provocatively for him, killed John the Baptist, and then Jesus called him out again on that, 
But on top of it, something that we don't know until you actually dig deeper into what he did, in order to just spit in the eye of all the Jewish people that he is over, he built his capital on top of a Jewish graveyard just to push them down a little bit more. The powers of this world want to keep their power. They don't want people to be free. They don't want people to have the, the blessings that come with salvation because then it weakens their power and they're afraid of that. But the truth we proclaim is that in Christ you are free. In Christ you have salvation. In Christ you don't have to be oppressed. In Christ it doesn't matter if you don't have money because God is going to provide in ways that you could never imagine. It is a reversal that governments even today do not like. That's why Christians are banned from going into China. Because that government doesn't want their people to hear that message. The powers that be are trying to keep people under their control. And that is where we come with the truth to say, no, no, that's not how thy kingdom come operates. We have a message that supersedes that. Well, God's kingdom is also built upon compassion, not frustration. Now, what do I mean by this? Uh, Jesus is doing this work, healing, casting out demons. He's doing all this to try to show the people that he loves them. To, to show to the people that they have value, that they have worth, that they mean something in God's eyes. The frustrating point is that so often we, we, want to, uh, we want to look at the bottom line. And if we are living in the realm of what our world is, we always have to look at the bottom line. We have to look at the cost to... Uh, outcome ratio. We have to look at the expenses versus the, the income. We have to understand that if we are getting this out of this effort, is that enough to justify that effort? That's how the world operates. Any good manufacturer wants to reduce one to gain the other. They don't want to just be throwing money into something that doesn't produce what they want. That's not how God's kingdom operates. It doesn't operate based on the bottom line. It operates based on the compassion for people. The idea that people hold value, the idea that everyone deserves to know about this, the idea that everyone has the right to come to salvation. And it doesn't matter how much resources it takes to share it. It does not matter how much, quote-unquote, wasted time is used to bring someone to that point. Here, Jesus is going, and he eventually pays the ultimate price, giving of his own life, so that people could have this kingdom, could come to salvation. And he knew, going into it, many would reject it. If he was living by this world's operations, he would say, 
that's a little frustrating. Maybe if I manipulate it in this way, maybe if I change some things here, I can get more of an outcome that's in my favor. But he doesn't. He says this is something that must happen for everyone, regardless of whether or not they will accept it. And that's where we come to ourselves. We have to begin to operate with this idea of compassion, to not let ourselves be overwhelmed with frustration because, ah, well, this person isn't understanding, this person isn't willing, this person doesn't want to. They've told me years and years and years that they just don't want to hear it. Well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean we stop loving them. It doesn't matter. We don't stop reaching out for them. We don't stop praying for them. It means that we continue to operate out of compassion, even if it comes to our last dying breath and they never accept Christ. Because God's kingdom operates in such a way that it's always worth it. It's always worth it. Now, this is what I, I love so much, this this cry, because he gets so worked up by, by Herod. <laughs> Listen, go tell that fox. I, I, I'm doing this stuff, and it doesn't matter. But then he turns and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, how I wish to just gather you under my wings like a hen gathers her brood. You can see that care. You can see that compassion, that tearfulness that he has to just Help them. And that continues to drive him, regardless of whether or not they ever accept it. But God's kingdom is also built upon hope, not death. You see, so much of this is all about Jesus dying. We hear about him tell his disciples many times that he's going to die. He even tells, you know, Herod, you know, the Pharisees come, Herod's trying to kill you. Oh no! What are you going to do? And he says, it's, it's okay. I'm not worried. Because my, my life, my kingdom is not based on death. It's based on the hope that comes after death. It's based on something greater than death. And that is what we get to bring forth here today a hope that surpasses all the problems that we face, all the suffering that we have in this world because we have a hope that there's something even greater, a hope that drives us even further to do something for people because we know that it's so much better. We don't have to worry about the persecution. We don't have to worry about the suffering. We don't have to worry about any of the problems because we have a hope that is so much sweeter than anything that the world can throw at us. And it's knowing that that allows Jesus to walk bravely towards Jerusalem knowing his fate. He's not scared. He's not cowering. Because he knows that the hope of salvation, the hope of life, is so much greater. The other thing that we see constantly throughout this is whenever Jesus mentions death, it's always followed with the hope of life. 
We never see those two apart. He says, you know, the first day and the second day I must be about my work, but then on the third day I finish it. Now he's talking about the work that he's actually doing there, but he's also alluding to the three days that he's in the grave to finish his work so that on the third day when he rises, there is no more, and it is done, and he has reached the end. And then again we see it at the end when he's saying, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Always giving out the hope. He's not fixated on the bad. He's not fixated on the problems. He is fixated on the hope that comes after, the hope that comes through those issues. And that's what continues to drive him and push him forward. And we can see this throughout church history. So many church fathers, so many leaders that have come and gone. We see that with uh, people like Aquinas and Clement, Polycarp, Martin Luther, John Wesley himself. They all face persecution. They all face trials. They all face horrible things. But they lived for the hope that was coming. That's what allowed them to do the work that they had to do. Now, I have a question. Do you believe you play a role in God's kingdom? Do we? Yeah? No? I'll give you the answer. Yes! I'm not the only one who plays a role in God's kingdom because I was called to be a pastor. Fun fact. Susan's not the only one who plays a role in God's kingdom because she was called to work with children. Joyce wasn't the only one who was called to do the work because she plays the piano very well. It's not just one of us. We've all been called. We've all been called to be the prophets in this day and age. We've been the ones who've been called to be the truth tellers who go out into this world to proclaim thy kingdom come which means we tell them the truth of what God's kingdom is, which is freedom and salvation from bondage and slavery and where no man has the power to condemn you because God has the power to forgive. We tell them the truth about the compassion that God has the compassion that led him to die on a cross. We tell them about the hope of the salvation, the hope of life that drives people to do crazy things. That is what we do. We are here, and we're trying to make this work, right? We're obviously, as a church, not in the best of places right now. I get that, and I understand that, and there's a lot of work to be done. But the fact is, I can't do it all. Susan can't do it all. Arlene can't do it all. Jennifer can't do it all. We can't do it all by ourselves. It takes each and every one of us stepping up and becoming the people who bring thy kingdom come to this place now, which means we are actively from Monday to Saturday doing these things, telling people about the truth of God, telling them about the compassion of God, the hope of God, these things that make up the kingdom. I was asked, 
just yesterday. How do we bring more people in? How do we bring more people in? How do we grow our numbers? And I said, you know what? We can do it a lot of ways. We could throw a whole bunch of money into these grand events that draw a lot of people in because they're real fancy events. The problem is, is that as soon as we stop doing those events, the people will leave. Or if someone does the events that we do better, they will go to where the events are better. No, the way we truly reach people, the way we build the kingdom is by building the relationships with people we are surrounded with Monday through Saturday. That builds stability because when we invest in people's lives, we are showing them what we are about and they buy into who we are, not what we do. So then it never becomes about what our church is able to do financially or physically or anything else. It becomes about who we are. And if we are a people of truth and compassion and hope, guess what? People will like that. And if we demonstrate that day after day in their lives, building those relationships, talking to them, sharing with them, and showing them the love and compassion that they need, guess what? That's going to change something. But it takes investment. It takes work. It takes caring for people day after day without any return on investment. And you know what? That's okay. But we have to do it. All of us. If we pray, thy kingdom come, we better be the ones who are stepping forward to bring that kingdom. We are the ones... Jesus is no longer physically here to do it. He left it for us to do. So we have two options. To sit here and hope that something happens miraculously, or we can actually do what we've been called to do by Christ when we became Christians and bring thy kingdom through the truth of the word of God, through compassion and the hope of the resurrection. That's what we have to do. If we want any of this to mean anything, if we want any of this to last beyond our own generations, this is what we have to do. God so loved that he purposely began to bring his kingdom to this world so that we could understand what it meant. For God so loved. This time of Lent gives us the best time to see how God's kingdom operates, how God's kingdom is working within our lives, and I tell you what, it is a beautiful thing when it works. It is a beautiful thing, but it takes work. It takes long nights. It takes caring for people who show no compassion or love for you. And if you want to say, oh, poor me, that sounds so unfair, think of Christ as he died for so many people that he could count who would never believe in him. And yet he still said, I will die for you. I love you. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, I do pray that your kingdom might come down to this world, but I pray that it might come through me. I pray that it might come through my words, through my actions, through how I live my life, through how I love my wife and my children, through how I lead every action of my day, so that those I come in contact with, those I share a meal with, those I talk with and smile at, that they might see your kingdom here. I pray that we all might do that. I pray that you spur us to this point where we see that your kingdom can only move forward if we take the steps. It is on us, God. But I pray for the strength. I pray for the wisdom. I pray for your Holy Spirit to come and help us do this because we're not quite sure Some days it's hard. And some days we don't feel like it. And people can be difficult. But God, oh God, please, still work through us so that through us your kingdom might come. Hope beyond all human hope. You promised descendants as numerous as the stars to old Abraham and barren Sarah. You promised light and salvation in the midst of darkness and despair and promised redemption to the world that will not listen. Gather us to yourself in tenderness. Open our ears to listen to your word and teach us to live faithfully as people confident of the fulfillment of your promises. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I now send you out into your community to make Christ-like disciples. Go. You are dismissed.